G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 23 review, the final round of home and away games for season 2021. The final eight is set for finals scheduled for next weekend. We'll run you through them in a moment. Uh, this Podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly, as I say. A very good evening to one man who always does indeed just that. And he's had his eye across all the action. G'day, Mark Fine. What did you make of a dramatic weekend? What a drama-packed Friday and Saturday it was. Before I get stuck into exactly where that leaves me as a footy supporter and pundit. A big, big thank you to our major sponsors in the likes of Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. I guess when you reach the end of the home and away season, it's a bit of a milestone. And we thank them as we head into the finals with their great sponsorship for another great season of support. Their big uh, there's a Sydney fan there, so uh, and a Hawthorne fan, but uh, yeah, they'll be pretty excited. Certainly, the Sydney side of the supporters uh, about what's coming up. So, thank you to the Gregs, thank you to everybody at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, the mighty Andrews Hamburgers, and uh, my great mate Nick Bartels, a big Carlton man. Well, um, big few days to play out for them off field and on field, not so good, but certainly at work kicking goals with West Point Properties, magnificent sponsors and fantastic home builds in the inner southeastern Melbourne suburbs. We've got another great partner of this podcast too. That is Stats Insider, the best sports data analyst in the business. They work with a range of more than 15 sports across the globe. They sample each event more than 10,000 times to give you the best range of possible and probable outcomes and there's also some wonderful independent sports journalism on their site all free to use check it out at statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on twitter at statsinsider well before we get into the games finey very important bit of news that is the release of the week one finals fixture and uh, if you're not across this it is as follows the second qualifying final to be played on friday evening in Adelaide, at Adelaide Oval, that is between Port Adelaide and Geelong. Winner, of course, straight through to a preliminary final in two weeks after that. And the loser to get their double chance up against the winner of an elimination final. Saturday, we have two games in the afternoon at the University of Tasmania Stadium in Launceston. Yep, Launceston, hosting an AFL final. 3.20pm, we will have Sydney taking on GWS. Saturday evening, a massive game. Back to Adelaide Oval. Neutral turf, though, for these two teams in the first qualifying final as Melbourne 
takes on Brisbane, and then Sunday, back to Launceston, the University of Tasmania Stadium, where the Western Bulldogs will take on Essendon in the first elimination final, and that one, another sudden death clash. Uh, what do you make of the first uh, week of scheduling, Friday? Two finals in Adelaide, two in Launceston. Uh, some matchups we haven't often seen in finals. Uh, certainly don't think we've seen Melbourne-Brisbane before. I know we haven't seen Melbourne-Brisbane before. And Western Bulldogs-Essendon, boy, would be going back a fair way to uh, dig up a finals meeting between those two. As for the venues, well, haven't been to Tassie before. It's pretty exciting. It is exciting. Interesting that they go to Tassie and Hobart doesn't get a look in. I think that's a bit of a surprise with two games, but they've invested uh, all in on Launceston and their first game, Sydney GWS. I wonder what sort of crowd they'll get. So we know there's been a lot of speculation about Tasmania as the 19th team and this is a big, big test for this level of support for the game, even though I think it's a bit of a tough ask to ask too many people to turn out for Sydney GWS. But I reckon they'll be packed to the rafters for the second one, Bulldogs and the Bombers. Well, that is the schedule. Uh, a lot of water had to go under the bridge to get to that point, though, because all sorts of possibilities were there for the top eight before we started this final round of matches and all manner of drama occurred. Let's have a chat about the lot of it. On Footyology, wrap around. The final round of the home and away season kicked off Friday evening at Marvel Stadium with a cracker, a big top four clash between the Western Bulldogs and Port Adelaide. Huge stakes for both teams. What would happen? Well, in a thrilling finish, it was Port Adelaide which prevailed by two points, thus claiming a guaranteed top two spot and putting the Western Bulldogs double chance in grave danger. That to be determined by subsequent games. The final scores, Port Adelaide, nine goals, 12, 66, defeating the Bulldogs, 10-4-64. The goal kickers for the power, two to Rosie, two to Laddams, two to Boak, two to Gray and one. Very critical final quarter goal to Ollie Wines. For the Dogs, two to English and the rest, all singles. Bontempelli, Norton, Dunkley, Johannesson, Waitman, Vandermeer, Hunter and Trelaw. Well, remarkable game this finally. The Bulldogs uh, burst out of the blocks with uh, four goals in very quick time. But the power... Way were able to answer emphatically. They really put the screws on the dogs' running game. Just couldn't convert at one stage, 1-8 at halftime. Everything changed for them in the third quarter, though. Three goals straight after the break, bringing scores very close. The Bulldogs got a few back, and then Port kicked again. All on the line in the last quarter. Bulldogs got the first goal to give themselves a 15-point lead, and back came to port for one last killer blow. Ollie Wines, magnificent check side snap on the run. Travis Boak, a beautiful curling snap in the boundary. And then Robbie Gray, perhaps the safest kick in football, put them in front for the first time with just under five minutes remaining. A desperate finish. The Bulldogs uh, desperately trying to find one more goal. Just falling short, Bailey Smith, Aaron Norton trying to mark in the goal square. The ball rushed through. Port hung on for a critical win and perhaps 
effectively ended the Doggies' flag hopes. It was a massive game with massive stakes, massive ramifications. What would you make of it all, Finey? Cometh the hour, cometh the men. Travis Boak has been a magnificent Port Adelaide footballer, a leader, a champion midfielder. In fact, those watching footyology final siren would have heard us discuss whether we thought he was the greatest Port Adelaide player of all time. Certainly in the discussion, he was magnificent. No other way to describe his performance. Look, Ollie Wines was great. Robbie Gray, the man for the moment. And other players supporting, certainly their defence. I was really impressed by Trent McKenzie returning to the team. But I've got to give the nod to Travis Boak, one of the great games of football. He really got them over the line. And unfortunately for the Doggies, a corresponding number who you would have hoped would have had the response, Marcus Bontempelli. And I don't in any way mean to decry his performances this year. He's been a great player, but not for him on Friday night. He wasn't even amongst their best from my perspective. So really the leadership stakes won there by Travis Boak. A great game of football, so much at stake. And unfortunately for the Doggies, since Bruce has gone down, that forward line just hasn't had the venom in it to worry other teams. And even though they led early, you got a sense that the inaccurate Port Adelaide would have their moment. Well, you've only got to look at the stats to really back that up. I mean, Port won basically every key statistical category. Uh, a heap more disposals. They had eight more inside 50s. Uh, Scott Lysette smashed Tim English in the ruck, and that's a, a big uh, worry for the Dogs. They won the clearances Port. They won the contestable, the uncontestable. They had 13 marks inside 50 compared to six. Even won the tackle count despite having more disp- uh, possession. Um, you know, this was a game really by rights, but for inaccuracy, they would have won by more. Uh, Dogs have got enormous problems here, finding They've just lost so much of that run that they generate off half back. I think it might be time for Johannes and to go back there. Daniel not having the sort of influence. We worry about their defence. Is it big and strong enough? And now we're worried about their forward line and we're worried about them in the ruck. So um, from a, a position of real strength three weeks ago, boy, their situation has slipped alarmingly, hasn't it? It has. And look, in 2016, they won the flag from outside the top four, but it was an incredibly close season. And with that buy, they were able to introduce a lot of important players back into the team. They're not going to get any of that morale-boosting impetus this time. There's no buy, and they've lost a position in the top four that they have held for the entire season. So just in terms of their psyche heading into the finals, very different to 2016. It would take a mentally powerful team to bounce back from this one, Rowan. It would. And in contrast, Port, aside, I think we've both been a bit um, sceptical about most of the year, how can you say they haven't got a massive flag chance? Two guaranteed finals at home. Uh, all their, their best players and their most senior players are standing up and playing magnificent footy. Um, and their scope for improvement. I mean, they got little out of Dixon. Georgiades injured. That could be significant for them. But we know they can still play a lot better footy than that. I think the home ground factor is massive for them in the final. So they Well, they well, well to... really, home crowd as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's what I meant. I mean, they they have to be 
every bit the flag chance any other team in that uh, top four is surely. Yeah, well, that, that was always a possibility that pendulum swings this season are such that that top four was not decided, of course, until the end of this final round. And it has swung in favour of Port Adelaide. Add COVID restrictions, eliminating Melbourne as a venue for home finals. Add the factor that really the only team now, teams now with big home state advantages seem to be Brisbane and Port. And you've got to say this, Rowan, they're in it up to their knees. They certainly are. And the doggies, in contrast, going to have to really pull something special out of the box to realise those flag dreams. Well, it was a massive Friday night, uh, but boy, did Saturday promise some massive games and did they deliver. The first Saturday afternoon game at the MCG. This one more about the sense of occasion than the result in terms of the ladder. Both these sides out of finals contention. But farewells being bid to some huge names. None bigger, of course, than Hawthorne duo coach Alistair Clarkson. His last game with the Hawks. Sean Burgoyne, the fifth 400-game player in the AFL. And the Tigers as well, triple premiership defenders. David Asprey, who was playing, and uh, Basho Hooley, who wasn't. Uh, the game, in a way, secondary, but it delivered. Boy, did it deliver, because we ended up with a draw, a quite remarkable draw, given that Hawthorne still led this by two goals, I think with less than a minute left on the clock. Amazing scenes. Uh, Rewalt kicked a goal from a very tight angle to make it a goal of difference. Ball goes back to the middle with 30-odd seconds left on the clock. Tigers force it forward. A goal, a goal mouth scramble. Rewalt gets his foot to the ball, bounces through with a despairing Sean Burgoyne in his final act as an AFL player, desperately trying to get a hand on the bouncing ball. He did, but about 10 centimetres behind the goal line and Richmond tied the game. Remarkable stuff. And uh, in a way, I guess, sort of fitting. Uh, Very exciting. And the scenes post-game and the interviews given were were tremendous, uh, really emotional stuff. David Asprey getting quite teary talking about Bashar Hooli and uh, terrific stuff from Clarko and Burgo. And it was a great way to cap it all off, really. The final scores, Richmond 12-11-83, Hawthorne 12-11-83. The goal kickers for the Tigers, Rewalt 3, Lynch 3, Bolton 2, Stack 2, singles to Castagna and Choll. For the Hawks, 3 to Brockman. Two to Wingard, two to Phillips, two to Lewis. Singles to Henrahan, Nash and Scrimshaw. Um, wasn't a bad game this finding. I mean, obviously not much riding on it in terms of stakes, but uh, I don't know. I came away thinking both these sides, well, the Tigers, I don't think it's all over for them. And I think the Hawks have a pretty decent future ahead of them. What did you think? Well, just on the game itself, the Hawthorne midfield for me, was going to win the game. Isn't it funny when you watch a game and you know that you're going to analyse the game afterwards as we do on footyology. I really, for most of the afternoon, was just in my mind filling out the blanks on how Hawthorne had won the game. And, of course, we know they didn't. But for me, 
it was that midfield that operates pretty well, doesn't it? I mean, Amira, I thought, played really well. Mitchell, very good. And you can build a team around that because we know that they've got so many good young players coming back into the side and handy experienced players. Sicily hadn't played at all this season. He's going to be a welcome returnee. Will Day, we've gone through that back line. You've got Jath to return to centre-half back. So many good players that they've picked up this season. So I agree. I'm very bullish about Hawthorne being left in good order by Clarko. And as for Richmond... I reckon that was Jack Ross's best game. Probably timely. He's a player that has been in and out of a team that hasn't been magnificent this year. So he picked a good time to remind selectors and people at Richmond of his value to the side. Hasn't Jaden Short had a good year in what has been a difficult season for the Tigers? And they'll certainly look to some of the youngsters that they blooded this year to improve. Now, as far as the meaning for the game, well... Boy, oh boy, what a game it was. I mean, <laughs> trust Clarko. Two teams not playing for anything. And have a guess what? A memorable draw. And of all the games this weekend, Rowan, that I think will suffer historically and just what a pity there wasn't a crowd, this is the one. Because there would have been a massive crowd. And those tears of Asprey and the emotion of Clarko, imagine that resonating and, and, and sort of being heard by a large crowd. Would have been an enormous crowd, Rowan. Enormous. With nothing to play for, I reckon they would have had 80,000. Would have been a very special afternoon. Yeah, oh, it, it would have. It still was. So, like, curiously, having no crowd, um, the scenes out in the ground immediately after the siren, you could actually hear the players from opposing sides talking to each other and hear what they were talking about. And it was... Yeah, uh, true. It was a great insight into um, uh, the respect, I think, even opposing players have for each other, uh, taken to ridiculous extremes post-game when Alistair Clarkson crashed Damien Hardwick's post-game Zoom press conference and we had the two coaches sitting together. Uh, they are best mates. So um, I love that stuff. I've got to say, when you when you see the mutual respect that goes on and those sides go hammer and tongs at each other, but... The moment the siren sounds, there's that respect and friendship there and um, they're all shaking hands and offering each other the best. So some great scenes there. I agree with you about Jack Ross. Thought he was terrific. Jaden Short, um, he's a real leader for that side, I think. And, you know, it's the likes of Jaden Short and Shea Bolton and these sorts of players who are Richmond's future. And I think with them, they have been such good players already. Uh, I think Richmond still has a bit of juice left in the tank in terms of their era. Too true. And the one player I didn't mention, I think, and he's had a bloody good season when he's been right. Gene Chad Wingard still has football in him, doesn't he? He's had a, a terrific year in the finish. He really has come good in the back half of the season. And I sort of feel that with a few of the Hawk veterans. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how prominent they are in Sam Mitchell's master plan, but um, it's been a far, far better year for the Hawks than I think many would have envisaged, even themselves at one stage. So uh, as Peter McKenna used to say, Fonny, you can't write Hawthorne off, and that's uh, in the big picture as well as during any game in which they play. So an emotional occasion at the MCG, and whilst that was going on across town at Marvel Stadium, there was another game going on. 
At Marvel Stadium, we had Sydney taking on Gold Coast. Of course, the Sun season done and dusted for some time. Could they finish off uh, with a decent performance for Stuart Dew and shore up his position as coach? Sydney, in contrast, plenty to play for with the finals campaign coming up. But in terms of where they sat in the eight and the fact that they, um, well, the nominal host of a final, not much change to be had for them. So a bit of a dress rehearsal, if you like, um, a training exercise for them, uh, which is an appropriate phrase because this game really was played like a bit of a training drill. The Swans supreme, the Suns never in it. Six goals to nothing in that first quarter ensured basically what the result would be. And the Swans just continued to build on that lead after that rammed it on in the last quarter with eight goals in that final term to just one for the Suns for a crushing win in the finish. The final score, Sydney 21-10, 136. Defeating Gold Coast, 6-13-49. The goal kickers, that man Buddy Franklin coming back into the team, six. He got off to a great start. Six goals to Buddy Franklin. That leaves him with a career figure of 992, just eight goals away from becoming the sixth man in history to reach 1,000 goals. Those others, of course, some considerable names in the pantheon of greats. Tony Lockett, Gordon Coventry, Gary Ablett Sr., Jason Dunstall, and Doug Wade. That is pretty illustrious company. So Buddy Franklin, six goals, three to Papley, Three to Heaney, two to Wicks, two to McLean, singles to Mills, and some injury concerns for Mills, Dawson, Goulden, Hickey, and Rowbottom. For Gold Coast, Ben King, four, did battle hard in that forward spot. Corbett and Sexton, the Suns' only other goal kickers. Like I said, uh, probably the headline out of this for the Swans, Achilles injury to Callum Mills. That might end his season. That would be a blow because he has become a really important midfielder for them. So a bit to worry about there. All over for Gold Coast. Um, what do you make of the wash-up from this one, Finey? Yeah, I think Mills is the big story because they just wanted to get through that game on scathe. They lost Blakey last week. He'd returned to the team with some important now... Callum Mills, who's had his best season, is in doubt for the entire final series. Otherwise, they'd be very pleased with the week off that Buddy had last week, parlaying into six goals this week. That means that he hits the finals in form. And I thought Hayden McLean playing for a spot in the team because, of course, Sam Reid was in the side, omitted. They reverted back to McLean, gave them something. He offers them something as a second ruck option. They've tried Amity this season. They've tried Sinclair. And McLean might be the man. So it's actually quite interesting as to which way they go. I think McLean now has his hand firmly on a spot in the finals. Well done him. As for the Gold Coast, I think there's a discussion point, Rowan. Uh, what a pity that they leave the season with... I mean, it hasn't been as bad as recent years in which they simply have not been able to win a game in the second half of the year. They've won the odd game and, and cause the odd upset, but they've still put in some absolute howlers in this last month and a half. Games against Melbourne and now against Sydney have been absolutely terrible. And I don't know where that leaves Stuart Dew or this team. For mine, 
it's not mission done. It, unfortunately, they had a lot to play for this weekend and they failed dismally, Rowan. Yeah, well, it's, it's as you say, it's not just the defeats, it's the nature of those defeats. So they've won seven games to the season. That's their most since 2014. A tick there. They've knocked over some decent opponents. Back-to-back wins over Richmond at Marvel and uh, GWS in Ballarat. Great win, that one. So big tick there. However, since that, um, you're looking at five losses from their last six games. And in the last few, the margins, 49 points against Brisbane, 98 points against Melbourne, in which they were scarcely competitive. Last week, 68 points against Essendon. Managed just four goals for the game. And then this one, just six goals for the game and almost another 100-point figure. So um, it's interesting. They uh, sort of pros and cons for their season overall. What about the Swans, though? Are they a legitimate flag chance, even from the bottom half of the eight? Probably not. In as much that it is very hard to win it from the bottom half of the eight. They get no advantage, at least in week one, with a Sydney final. They have to travel. Sydney is COVID-locked. And they've been away from home for a long time. This was a, a better performance, but their form of recent weeks, not great. And unfortunately, Callum Mills, who's been such a wonderful player for them in doubt for the finals, is another grave cause for concern. So I think what has been a wonderful year and should be the springboard for many fine seasons to come, may just be one or two weeks in the finals for mine. Yeah, well, it's certainly going to be harder from the lower half of the eight. Uh, I think working much, uh, very much in their favour, though, is uh, they've already shown us they can deal with those uh, top sides. They, of course, knocked over the Bulldogs. They pushed Melbourne to within, I think it was, nine points. They pushed Port Adelaide to within... 10 points, uh, they beat Geelong, so they're capable. Um, I certainly wouldn't be discounting them totally. So uh, a training drill, in effect, for the Swans as they tuned up for an elimination final next week. Far bigger stakes attached to the Twilight game on Saturday, and that one was at the Gabba. Well, massive stakes attached to this game at the Gabba between Brisbane and West Coast. Brisbane desperate to grab a top four spot, which meant they not only had to win, but win by a sufficient margin. West Coast still with fleeting finals hopes if they could somehow jag an unlikely, a seemingly unlikely away win to an informed Brisbane combination. Well, West Coast... Uh, late in the well, early in the last quarter, actually looked half a chance to not only stop Brisbane getting that double chance, but actually win and give themselves a final chance. They were very competitive for the Eagles. It got pretty hair raising for Brisbane, but they got there with just seconds to spare, uh, knocking the Western Bulldogs out of that fourth spot on the ladder. The final scores, Brisbane 19-11-125, defeating West Coast 13-9-87. The goal kickers, four to Danaher, three to Berry, two to Cameron, McCarthy, McStay, singles to Lyons, McLuggage, Neil, Rich, and Zorko for the Eagles, three to Darling, three to Ryan, 
two to Cripps, two to Vardy, singles to Allen, Jones, Waterman. Well, like I said, finally, a couple of quick goals in the last quarter to Jamie Cripps. Left the margin, Brisbane's uh, margin, just five points. And the Lions at that stage having to kick about another five goals to get that double chance. A uh, bit of a gap then before they uh, hit the scoreboard. And then they did with a rush. Uh, goal to Berry, goal to Danaher, goal to Lions, another goal to Berry, uh, goal to McLuggage. Jack Darling got one back for the Eagles, just put it right on a knife's edge. Dan McStay had a chance to kick just the one point Brisbane needed by the end to get that top four spot. He fell short. And then with 14 seconds left on the clock, Lincoln McCarthy uh, curled one just inside the point post. Bit of a Barry Breen job. And that was enough to put Brisbane in front. And then from that kick in, Charlie Cameron, an intercept mark, and he put a bit of icing on the cake. Jubilant scenes. Um, on the Brisbane bench with uh, coach Chris Fagan leading, leading the charge. And Brisbane, after coughing and spluttering at various stages this season, end up with a double chance and a big um, claim on a potential premiership. West Coast miss out on the final eight for the first time since Adam Simpson's first season as coach in 2000. And 14. Dramatic scenes, finally. It was tense stuff in those last uh, 10, 15 minutes. You'd think that that marginal, the uh, percentage differential between Brisbane and Bulldogs had been uh, set by the greatest handicapper of all time because it was just the delicious figure that was within reach but not quite there. And yes, we're there. No, we're not. Every time West Coast score, it blows out a bit more. First of all, Kudos, 10 out of 10 to the coverage by Fox Footy. They had the little ladder in the bottom of the screen, so you were always aware of where the teams were. Hutto, in particular, with Gary Lyon and Nick Rewalt, doing a brilliant job keeping you abreast of the situation and making sure that you understood that as the score blew out, the more West Coast scored, the more that Brisbane needed. In other words, if Brisbane were a goal away, if West Coast kicked a goal, they weren't two goals away. They were more than two goals away. Such is the nature of percentages. And that was really well done by the commentary team. You were never in doubt as to what they needed to make the finals. Exciting. I mean, I'll say this, I couldn't have imagined a more exciting finish to a game of football. But then again, I didn't have a crystal ball and I didn't know what was going to come later that night. But I'll say this, that that margin was an incredible target, seemingly just out of their reach when McStay missed that shot with 30 seconds to go. There was some controversy. I mean, they were definitely helped by a very soft free kick to Berry who was awarded a free after he missed a shot from 30 metres straight in front. They said that the umpire said that Cole had interfered with him in a manner that was deserved of a free kick. I call bullshit on that one, but Brisbane rode the luck and got the result that they needed. Well, we should talk about the Eagles. Uh, really disappointing demise by them since the 2018 flag. Um, you know, they've gone out pretty summarily from two final series and, Failed to make a third. They're getting older. Got a lot of players in that over 30 bracket. Uh, those senior players are more injury prone. I'm not sure there's a heap of kids who we're convinced about 
having come through. They've certainly pushed a few new names through that side, but very early stages for them. Uh, where do you think they're at in terms of the next couple of years? Yeah, it has been a struggle this season for them. You've got to question the longevity of Kennedy. I imagine he goes on. Uh, the team, I mean, Shuey was injury prone this season. I've got to say, Nat Nui was brilliant in that game against Brisbane, but a lot falls on his shoulders. And as you pointed out, there is an ageing defence there with Hearn. I don't, you know, to me, that back line looks better when Barras and McGovern, who to me are very similar footballers, aren't in there in tandem. Because one of their big problems this year has been that the fall of the ball in defence. They've got a really terrible record when teams get into their own 50 because of lack of mobility in that back 50. I thought Foley was pretty good. So they do need to reassess Rowan. And they certainly will head into 2022 without the um, aura that has surrounded them in recent seasons. That's for sure. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, Brisbane, in contrast, really starting to hit some decent form, looking potent again in a scoreboard sense. The big guns firing and now with a double chance and a qualifying final next week. Well, well, uh, Rowan, just as I said that sort of the Bulldogs would be really, they took a gut shot in terms of the psyche heading into the finals, losing that double chance. The fact that Brisbane has almost nicked one at the death knock, does that make them a real live chance for a premiership? Oh, I think it absolutely does. Um, they have been the previous two seasons as well. That hasn't been enough. Uh, maybe this is the year they deliver with having uh, qualified in harder circumstances. Uh, they're certainly in it up to their eyeballs. Um, dramatic end to that game at the Gabba, but uh, boy, was there some more drama to come on Saturday evening. Well, down at GMHBA Stadium, we had a game to decide the 2021 minor premiership, Melbourne and Geelong. Whoever won the game would finish the year on top. Of course, Melbourne, that hasn't happened since 1964. What happened that year? Well, they went on and won their 12th and most recent premiership. So uh, plenty of Demon fans hoping history could repeat itself. What an incredible game it turned out to be. Even and dour and low scoring uh, in the first quarter, 2-1 to 2-3 at quarter time. Then an amazing burst by the Cats in the second quarter, slamming on eight goals one to Melbourne's one goal too. Five of those goals coming in eight minutes. It was just get it out of the centre, kick a goal for the Cats. Incredible stuff. Absolutely dominant. That gave them a lead of just under 40 points. And in fact, halfway through the third quarter, that lead blew out to 44 points. Done and dusted. Everyone's starting to turn their attention to next week, except the second half of this uh, game equation, the Melbourne Football Club, because they dug deep and found something quite amazingly, hauled back a couple of goals late in that third term, still more than five goals down at three-quarter time. And then in the final quarter, right from the first bounce, a goal to Cozzy Pickett, a second goal to Spargo, a third snapped goal from Oliver, who was just incredible for the Demons, another goal to Spargo, Bailey Fritch dribbled one through 
and the Cats lead by just three points. And the final minutes, well, it'd take us 10 minutes to tell you everything that happened in the last few minutes. But among other things, we had Geelong seemingly headed for a goal before Jeremy Cameron and Lockie Henderson collided, just about knocking each other out. They blew that chance. Tom Sparrow missed a chance to put Melbourne in the lead. And then with literally seconds left on the clock, about 40 seconds, um, Angus Brayshaw, Desperately hacked a ball forward, looking for territory. Incredibly, given the last thing he'd be trying to do is get the ball out of bounds, he was penalised for insufficient intent. By now, about 34 seconds left on the clock. That surely was that. Incredibly, though, that free kick may have ended up costing Geelong the game. Cam Guthrie took the free kick. Unfortunately, he kicked it out of bounds, trying to go down the line. More unfortunately, still for the Cats, that ball was, for some unknown reason, and boy, will he be pondering this, smashed into the seats by Young Close and a 50-metre penalty awarded to Melbourne. Jake Weaver took that kick outside the 50, tried not to go for distance, popped it up to the top of the square, which you can see was going to happen, and even more incredibly, the Cats left Max Gorn relatively unattended. He marked the ball. The siren went. Big Maxi, who's missed a post-game shot or a shot on the siren to win a game for Melbourne against Geelong before, made amends uh, to the delirium of the Melbourne supporters and they finished the season on top of the ladder. Geelong, for having blown a seven goals plus lead for its trouble, has to head to Adelaide to play Port Adelaide. Incredible stuff, scarcely believable, very reminiscent. I must say, I did think immediately of Stephen Kernahan, Carlton captain, kicking a goal after the siren at Waverley in 1987. And we all know what happened there, who ended up winning the premiership. Is this Melbourne's destiny? The final scores, Melbourne 12 goals, 9, 81, defeating Geelong 12-5, 77. The goal kickers for the Demons, three to Pickett, Two to Brown, two to Oliver, two to Spargo, singles to Fritch, Gorn, Viney for the Cats, four to Hawkins, two to Cameron, two to Rowan, singles to Close, Dalhouse, Dangerfield, Selwood. Hard to believe it happened, Viney, but it did. I'm still checking the uh, final score. I can't believe they won that game. I simply can't believe it. At halftime, if you had an inkling that Melbourne were going to be a chance, even a chance to win that game, you'd probably still be somebody suffering the effects of pepper spray from your anti-lockdown march, such as your foolishness would be. I mean, it was simply not conceivable. Dangerfield, brilliant. Hawkins, who has been out of form, stormed back into form. In fact, halfway through that third quarter, I think the main interest was whether or not Hawkins could run down uh, an injured Harry Mackay for the Coleman medal. There was no thought of Melbourne winning that game. A couple of important goals just towards the end of the third quarter. And then, as you've ably described, a finish for the, for the ages. Look, that kid close will have nightmares. I'm sorry. I, it's not as though he's playing his first game of football. What he did was ridiculous. Guthrie himself would be very upset with his kick. 
and then the lack of accountability that allowed Gorn to mark uncontested at the top of the goal square will give Chris Scott the sort of nightmares that I guess will only be extinguished if they can go to Adelaide next week and defeat Port Adelaide. As for Melbourne, Clayton Oliver, if he was to win the Brownlow medal on the last round of the season, because I think it could be that close. We've got the likes of Bontempelli and Boak and very much a, a, a contested Brownlow this year. What a great way to win because he deserves six votes, Rowan. Well, it's an incredible individual performance. 37 disposals. He kicked two goals, including that critical one in the last quarter. Seven tackles, nine clearances, a goal assist, 466 metres gained. Um, And he's been like that most weeks this season. He has had an incredible season. He is an incredible player. And tell you what, Fanny, I know it's, you know, we're not used to Melbourne being a, a premiership player. And it's sort of hard to get your head around it. But, uh, wow, they could actually do it this year, couldn't they? Absolutely. They land in the finals without, for me, without doubt, the healthiest of those teams competing for the premiership. Why do I say that? Because Brisbane will still miss Hipwood throughout the final series. That injury to George Yardis untimely for Port Adelaide. Uh, We know that Geelong have had various players injured throughout the year, but Mitch Duncan remains a major loss for them and in a huge rush against time that I think he will lose ultimately. Don't forget Tom Stewart. And and Tom Stewart, a huge loss for them. Melbourne have been pretty stable throughout the year, and that means that the main plank, that wonderful backline led by Lever and May, are ready to deny other teams scores that could win them finals. Melbourne on top and rightly the team to beat. Yep. And boy, do they go into this final series with a full head of steam after that amazing comeback effort. Geelong, well, they've got a bit of thinking to do. And whilst that was happening, there was another night game in Melbourne at Marvel Stadium and we said farewell to one of football's most popular players of all time. Well, it was always going to be an emotional occasion as not just Carlton, but football said farewell to Eddie Betts, uh, perhaps the greatest small forward the game has ever seen. Certainly, undoubtedly, one of the most popular players the game has ever seen. His final AFL appearance that came for the Blues up against GWS. Carlton already had a finals running. GWS still needing to win to make sure they would be part of the September action. And the Blues, to their credit, make them, made them work very hard for that win. I don't think many people thought that would be the case after Carlton had conceded, what was it, 19 straight goals to Port Adelaide last week. But the Blues, they came to play to do the right thing for Eddie. It was uh, them who led at halftime by one point. Uh, GWS just starting to work their way on top in the third term with three goals to one. And a cracking last quarter in which the Blues just kept coming. In fact, they won that final term. But the Giants, in the end, ending up victors by 14 points. The final scores, GWS 12-17, 89, defeating Carlton 11-9-75. The goals for the Giants, three to Hogan. Two to Ward, singles to Lloyd, Hopper, Perryman, Green, Sproul, O'Halloran and Himmelberg. 
for the Blues, four to Kerno, two to Casbolt, two to Betts, singles to Durden, McGovern and Fisher. Well, it was all about the farewells and the emotion of Eddie Betts, finally, but uh, reasonably entertaining game this as well. And uh, the Blues, they brought their better version to the table. If that is to be David Teague's last game as coach, uh, at least they haven't left him embarrassed. No, they haven't. He did say after the game that he thinks the bad news is coming on Monday. So he's in no doubt as to what is ahead for him, which I think is particularly unfair, though particularly Carlton-like. They've done it before with Brett Ratton and they are doing it again. VWS had to win this game. I mean, they wanted to play finals football. They did flirt with some danger. And I've got to say, uh, I tipped this book to reprise the great Mike Williamson. What did I tip? I saw, saw last week that Callan Ward um, was back playing great football. He was best on ground. Maybe it's his body. He certainly has had a long period in the last two or three years off the field and a bit of a forgotten man, certainly in that midfield. When you talk about that midfield and all the riches that it has enjoyed over the years, very rarely does Callan Ward's name come up. Of course, I'm pretty sure Callan Ward kicked GWS's first ever goal in football. So he's been there from the get-go, but he's playing as well now as he has ever played in his career. And he basically got them over the line, right? Yeah, it was a strong uh, midfield performance from a few guys. Taranto, he's been pretty good of late. Kelly, we know how good he can be. Um, Taylor's a, a terrific defender for them. And um, I think an important plus for them too, Hogan finding a bit of form and three yep. goals. Uh, it's going to be tough for them coming from the bottom half of the eight. Uh, but we know their best is capable of taking it up to most teams. Uh, what about the Blues? I mean, look, we've talked about David Teague a lot. I think we both think he's particularly stiff. Um, it seems like Carlton is reverting to the Carlton of yore. Uh, Ross Lyons seems to be growing in momentum as the man most likely to replace him. But coaching aside, uh, where do we think Carlton's at? Because I think they've performed this year about how I expected them to perform. There, there's still some big holes on that list. Still needs plenty of work, but it's not all gloom and doom. They do have a clutch of some of the most talented younger players in the game. So uh, whoever ends up getting that job, I think they've got a bit to work with. Yeah, unfortunately, progress at Carlton has been glacier-like over the last few years. They haven't gone backwards. But as you say, they've got Harry Mackay, the number one forward in the competition, winner of the Coleman medal. And they've got Charlie Kerno, hopefully with a full pre-season, to really add to some firepower. It looks like Sherra is headed to Melbourne to play with Carlton, and that will be sorely needed. What a strange game by... Crips. Did you see that, Rowan? He was off halfway through the third quarter with his injured foot. Until then, he had 17 possessions, none of them any kicks. I've never seen that before. Zero and 17. Uh, it's not basketball, it's football, but still, he, he was okay. Um, hopefully, he's fully fit at the start of next season. Builds up a decent midfield. Yeah, there are holes there. And to be honest, I'd like to see, I would like to see David T have a crack with a fully fit forward line that include Charlie Kurnow and with Shera, He's not going to have that crack. We'll see what happens under a different coach. I just want to mention GWS very quickly, Rowan. 
ended last season poorly, fell out of the eight, started this year with three losses. I don't think too many people had them in the finals thereafter. This has been a very good effort with a lot of injuries. Yeah, they've certainly found something over the last month or so. Uh, should say quickly too, uh, Levi Casbolt also retiring for the Blues and he's been a, a real warrior for them. He's had issues with his kicking at times, but he's certainly been a pretty loyal, faithful servant of that club and delivered some pretty decent footy for them too. So, Just a minor correction, not retiring. He's been told by the Blues not required and I think he might end up at the Gold Coast. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we'll wait and see. Watch this space on that one. Well, an incredible Saturday of football and the 2021 home and away season officially brought to an end with the final three of 198 home and away games played on Sunday. Sunday's action kicked off at Blundstone Arena in Hobart. Two teams, one their season effectively done and dusted, the other still with a top eight spot to play for, provided, of course, they could win. That team was Fremantle, the Saints and the Dockers. And the result, an absolutely crushing win, as you'd expect. What you wouldn't expect was that the crushing win was delivered by the team that had zero to play for and inflicted on the team that had everything to play for. St Kilda, one of their most comprehensive victories of the season, played some great football, and they were accurate. Fremantle were pretty insipid, to be honest, with so much at stake, and once again confirming their status as the league's most inaccurate team. The final scores, St Kilda, 17 goals, 5, 107 to Fremantle, a pretty miserable 6, 13, 49. The goal kickers for the Saints... Sharman, four. He is looking very promising in the end to this season. Three to Membry, two to Kent, two to Higgins, two to Butler, two to Bytel, two to Marshall for Fremantle. All singles to Croden, Switkowski, Taverner, Henry, Banfield and Tracy. The Saints, only a goal up at quarter time. Increased that way to a couple of goals at halftime, but it got pretty ugly in the second half, particularly the last quarter, during which the Saints slammed on seven straight goals to just two for the Dockers to run out victors by 58 points. Very disappointing conclusion to the season for the Dockers after breaking the ice in the Derby last week. But uh, look, St Kilda very much the better side in this contest, finally. But again, a big statement made here about conversion. You're talking about an inside 50 count that was as good as level. Um, you're talking about 22 scores to 19 scores. And yet you're talking about a margin of 58 points. Pretty good win by your mob, Finey. Yeah, it was a good win. I think that disparity in the score as compared to inside 50s says a little bit about the crowded forward line that Fremantle had to deal with as compared to St Kilda's forward line, which for much of the afternoon, was able to provide separation to the youngster Cooper Sharman. Membry got on the scoreboard as well. And I guess getting the ball out of the centre with the 6-6-6 helps and having a, a superstar midfielder like Jack Steele helps throughout the afternoon. And he kept off a very good season with another best-on-ground performance. 
I mean, for Fremantle, given what they had to play for, disappointing, wasn't it? They didn't really fire a shot when you consider that they had a bit of a breeze in the first quarter. Anyhow, they trailed and they just couldn't get into the game. Their cause wasn't helped by an injury to Sean Darcy. He came back on the ground, but certainly wasn't himself and he's had a great season. As for St Kilda, what might have been, I guess they can point to wasted opportunities during the season and some weeks where they just didn't show up. But as you said, they were on their best behaviour and probably paid one of their best all-round games for the season. The good news, Sharman, the youngster, Tom Highmore came through this year, Jack Bytel, Ryan Burns. So there were some bright points in what was a disappointing season for a side that was supposed to make the eight. Well, the brightest point surely would uh, have to be the skipper, wouldn't it? Uh, Jack Steele has just had a superb season. I thought he was best on ground today by so far. It wasn't funny. 36 disposals, six tackles, six clearances, uh, fantastic leadership. Gee, he's had a terrific year. He has. He finished third in the Brownlow last year and maybe the lack of uh, the same number of wins will impinge upon his bid this year, but he certainly should hold his spot in the old All-Australian team. St Kilda, though, they'll be a different-looking side next year, no question about it. The futures of Billings, Ross, uh, certainly Dunstan, already retirements from McKernan and Carlisle, Frawley to follow. Geary is being offered a one-year contract, interestingly, but it'll be a a different-looking St Kilda next year. And a quick word on the Dockers. I know you've been a fan. I've been less enthused about them. Uh, I don't think we should take their improvement again next year as a given. There's certainly some decent uh, talent pushing through, but uh, they're still prone to inconsistency. And days like today, they just never really look like it. Really failed to exert much pressure at all. Uh, Too many skill errors for mine, too many costly turnovers. And that diabolical kicking a goal and conversion just doesn't seem to be getting any better. No, and I guess they are a deceptive team because you sort of look at it and think, gee, if you put Fife back in there and lob up in the forward line and the defenders have a fair run at it with injury, handling not sighted this year, then you've got something to build on. But then again, they lose Chera out of the midfield. And that's not a good sign that a young footballer wants out from the club and maybe tells a little bit about a football team that still doesn't seem to be able to get it all together. Well, interesting off-season for both those clubs and uh, certainly there'll be plenty of speculation about what list changes need to be made at both of them. So that wraps up season 2021 for the Saints and the Dockers. Our next game on the Sunday card was at the MCG. 3.20 at the MCG, uh, a highly anticipated game. This not so much for the Magpies, whose season was over long ago. But could Essendon, uh, widely tipped to finish bottom four this year, actually reach the finals? Uh, it was thought they would need a win. But by the time this game started, they actually didn't need a win, which took a fair bit of sting out of the contest, it's fair to say. Even that a point of interest, though, uh, would... Essendon coach Ben Rutten hand a farewell game to Kale Hooker. Well, no, he didn't. So uh, playing Mr. Hardass there on the coaching front, but absolutely fair enough. They have a final series to prepare for. 
would it rob the Bombers of motivation and give the Pies a bit of a sniff? Well, neither um, was the answer to those questions because Essendon, after a pretty even opening quarter, went on to a handsome victory. Six goals to one in the second term. Uh, pretty scrappy third term. And then three goals to two um, the second half. Well, not full of pressure, it has to be said. Essendon, in the end, running out very comfortable. 38-point winners. 16 goals, 6, 102. The Bombers defeating Collingwood, 9-10-64. The goal kickers, 2-metre Peter, in good touch again today with four goals following on from seven a couple of weeks ago. Four goals to Alec Waterman, who surely must have booked his spot in the final 22 for next week. Two to Stringer. Red hot again. Two to Devin Smith. I thought by some margin his best game for Essendon for some time. Two to Mason Redmond running down from defence. Singles to Perkins and Snelling. For the Pies, were a real lone hand up forward played by Jamie Elliott. He kicked four. The rest all singles. Cameron, Dacos, Dagoe, Thompson, Hoskin Elliott. And uh, the bad news for the Pies, or good news in a draft sense, but uh, doesn't look too good in the history books is their eventual 17th place finish. So finally, the side which came within a kick of a flag three years ago, finished second to last in 2021. As to the Bombers, well, they've got a massive elimination final against the Western Bulldogs to prepare for. What do you make of this one? You know, I heard a bit of speculation in the commentary as to whether or not this is the sort of game you want before the finals, given that there wasn't all that much pressure out there. Talk about splitting hairs. No, what you want is a team that's been playing well to maintain good form. And that's exactly what Essendon did. You only can play against the opposition that is provided. And quick hands seem to be the new trademark of the Bombers. I love the way they quickly move the ball around from hand to hand confidently when under pressure. Reminds me of Geelong at their best back in the 2009-11 period. And I've got to say that they're playing now as well as they have all season. That back line looks as good as it has all year. Ridley, superb, Laverde, have they've all had good years. I tell you what, kudos to one Tom Cutler. I wouldn't have imagined he was going to be playing many finals football for Essendon or for anybody, say, halfway through the year, but he's given himself a very good reason to be in the team. More run off the back line and using the ball quite well with Nick Hind, a double-pronged attack out of the back line mobility-wise. Everything seems ready for a finals campaign, Row Peter Wright at his best. You know what summed up Peter Wright today to me? Nick Hind had the ball about 40 metres out and rather than blaze away, even though he was outnumbered, he trusted in the height confidence and hands of Peter Wright, put it to the top of the square, bang, the mark. Just before half time, I think it was. But it, to me, said a lot about where Peter Wright is as a footballer and where his teammates are. And on top of all of this is the Jake in the box because talk about Jake Stringer being the perfect player to take into the finals. Midfielder come forward who loves nothing more than headline acting and that's what finals are about. I can't wait to see him next week. Well, I've certainly got some interesting selection decisions to make. Now, Kyle Langford has to come back into that team. I guess a really interesting one might be Anthony McDonald 
Tippenwoody, who was rested last week. I noticed the uh, description alongside his absence now is listed as personal reasons. And Devin Smith uh, seemed to really take over that uh, tipper role pretty effectively. Now, you'd think Tipper would be a walk-up start, but he hasn't been in great form. And uh, there's a couple of players in this lineup who might be very stiff to miss. Dylan Clark is probably the most vulnerable, but uh, I agree entirely with what you said about Tom Cutler. He has actually been really good off half-back, and that long kicking has really added something to the mix. Nick Cox, the medical sub today, so he's been freshened up. He'll be part of that 22 it's a handy position to be. And in fact, as surprising as it might sound to say this, I think one of the more vulnerable members of that SM lineup might be a man called Dylan Scheel. Uh, I didn't think he was overly impressive today and he didn't necessarily show a heap of urgency. Let's talk about the Pies because uh, they had an incredible amount of inexperience going around in this lineup and it was reflected in how they performed. Didn't really look likely to win this game at any stage. I scanned their injury list to look at the absentees and there's some fairly major ones, obviously Pendlebury and Moore, chief among them. But I actually didn't see as many senior names as I expected to. And I must admit, looking down this 22 today, I'm wondering if there are at least a couple, if not a few years, from returning to a position of strength. How do you see their future? Exactly. Yeah, exactly how it feels, Rowan. And they need to appoint a coach. And I guess part of their thinking will have to be a coach that is or has the reputation for developing young talent and certainly not a an instant sugar hit from maybe a more experienced or better known name. It's going to be a haul for Collingwood. They look forward to young Nick Dacos joining Josh next year. That's exciting because he's certainly touted as a number one pick. Beyond that, they're going to have to be patient with a lot of these youngsters and sort some wheat from chaff. It's been a remarkably speedy demise, I think, and interesting to see what the next couple of years yield for them. Um, given that we don't even know who's going to be coaching them yet. As for Essendon's immediate future, well, Another elimination final. Can they break the considerable ice of winning a final for the first time since 2004? They will be up against the Western Bulldogs Sunday afternoon in Launceston, one of two finals to be played in Launceston at the weekend. Who said showpiece football is never played in the Apple Isle? All right, that's two down on Sunday. One game left of 198 home and away games. And this one was played in Adelaide. Well, not long ago, this looked like it could be a playoff for the wooden spoon for 2021, but uh, not the case. North Melbourne already locked into last on the ladder after last week's results. Adelaide, though, could haul themselves up the ladder a couple of positions, which is what they duly did pretty comfortably in the end and uh, could have actually been by a fair bit more than they won by. Pretty inaccurate on the kicking front. Again, the final scores, Adelaide 13-20, 98, defeating North Melbourne. Disappointing in this one, 8-6-54. The goals, three to McAdam, and yet another nomination for Mark of the Year. What an incredible grab in the goal square that was from the youngster. Two to Keys, singles to Seedsman, McHenry, Jones, Schomburg, Thilthorpe, McKay, the retiring McKay, Gallant, 
and the, well, retiring or retiring or leaving the Crows at least, Tom Lynch. So a fairly joyous last quarter celebration for Adelaide. For the Roost, three to Nick Larkey, singles the rest, Anderson, Walker, Thomas, Phillips and Scott. I think North would be pretty disappointed with this one, finally, given their generally improved form over the back half of this season. Adelaide, in contrast, they've really found a bit in the last few weeks. And I reckon uh, they can go into the off-season pretty positive about what 2022 holds for them. Well, let's take them topic by topic. North should be very disappointed. Look, 18th on the ladder, but I think everybody would suggest that they're a, a team that's had a, a much better second half to the season than was expected. And the best way to cement that is to finish the season off well and a real winning opportunity against Adelaide. They should have looked at it as their, you know, their farewell to the season, but also their sort of um, springboard into training for next year. It was a very weak performance. They, I'll tell you how weak it was. Have a look at the last three goal kickers for Adelaide. McKay, Gallant and Lynch. No coincidence, by the way, that two retiring players and a player in his first game all get given goals. You don't want to be the team that is so soundly beaten that the opposition can choose who kicks goals against you. It's embarrassing. And so it was how the season ended for North. Bar Karen Thomas, who played well again and had a great year, and Aaron Hall as well, bar those two. Not too many can hold their head up high after this trip to Adelaide. You, now, just on the Crows, you mentioned an improvement. Where's it come from? I think right where it matters, in the middle. Good season finishes to Schoenberg. Great second half to the year for that young man. Ben Keyes, unfashionable, not fancy to Brisbane. I reckon he'll run second in the BNF to Rory Laird. Finish the season off really well. I think they'd be pretty happy with how that midfield's ticking over. There's something to look forward to. Well, they certainly racked up the touches. Two of those guys you mentioned, Laird and Key, 78 disposals between them. Rory Laird with 40, Ben Keyes with 38. He has been quite outstanding for Adelaide Keys, and I don't think many people would have anticipated him being as big an influence over this side as he has. Schoenberg, 24 touches. Ned McHenry had 24 for the Crows too. Seedsman. Pretty consistent those days. 23 for him. Andrew McPherson, 22. Uh, Braden Cook, 19. Gee, there's some names we're still coming to grips with in that Adelaide lineup, but uh, some of them have played a reasonable amount of footy now. So these two teams' progress next year will be interesting to watch. I wonder if North uh, just locks onto the draft and just keeps picking up kids or if they would consider yet again trying to uh, trade in some senior talent. It's a double-edged sword, this. They've got plenty of youth. Perhaps they do lack a little bit of leadership, though. What's your view on that? I think they've really got to double down on taking advantage of the first pick in the draft by picking the best young talent in Australia through the draft. It would be untimely to go for a big-name recruit. And what I mean by that is they're not yet ready to make a play for the eight. So in building a side that is going to ultimately be a contender, I think you go too soon by swapping out a number one pick for a big name. 
Well, final finish positions for these two sides. Adelaide going from 17th to 15th with this win in the last game. Uh, interesting, not much talk about draft picks surrounding this game and uh, Adelaide's performance would tend to suggest that uh, they were absolutely invested in um, the honour side of the equation, not so much about getting a draft pick two earlier than they will end up getting. So they finish in 15th place with seven wins for the year, which is uh, more than double what they had last year. So definitely progress made there. The Roos, as we said, they do take out the spoon this year. Four and a half wins for them, and they finish a game and a half below Collingwood, who came in 17th. Gold Coast, for what it's worth, finishing 16th, I think the 11th time in their 12 seasons in the AFL that they have finished in the bottom four on the ladder. All right. Well, that is it. That is the home and away season. The whole shebang done and dusted. Just the finals to come. Not the end of this show, however, because you know what's coming up last. It's the bit where we fire up. On Footyology, the rant off. Well, be interested to see what you're going to come up with this week, Fanny. I know what I'm coming up with because I saw something pretty amazing on Saturday night. It wasn't just a great comeback, but it was the shattering, utter shattering of traditional age-old football stereotypes. And uh, it sparked me into some ranting action. And I'm about to deliver it right now, if you will count me in, please. Looking forward to it. One, two, let's see what you've got on number three. I'm pissed off with Melbourne, Finey. What's football coming to? And you can't even count on some reliable old stereotypes to tide you through your own team's underachievement. You know how it goes. Right now, we should be talking about ski resorts, September holidays, and making gags about Demon fans calling for the axing of number whatever his name is because they don't know many players' actual names. Our game relies on such tropes to keep us connected to the status quo and offer a sense of equilibrium in these dangerous, troubled times. But now, not only has the way we live been shaken up, so has the AFL ladder, and it's hard to cope. Even the odd year Melbourne's been able to make finals previously, you could count on them having to do it the hard way or having it all at least blow up in their faces at some unlikely stage. There's been just two grand final appearances since that last flag in 1964, one in which the Demons were smashed by then record 96 points against Hawthorne in 1988, then by 10 goals against all-conquering Essendon 21 years ago. Even two years ago, they got spifflicated in a preliminary final belting in Perth. And the Demons are even responsible for the Bombers' most recent finals win all the way back in 2004. But much as those of us who've lauded it over the supposed club of the establishment for so many decades now might not like it, there's a lot more substance to this version of the Demons. I'm not seeing a lot of grammar school types, you know, a team full of players so clean-cut and entitled James Brayshaw would start dribbling at the prospect of calling their games and would just be calling a roll of their private school heritage instead of the action. This Melbourne team has got plenty of blue collar about it, Fanny. They're up the top of the contested ball rankings again. And their other strong suit is a defence, which is all about hard work and grit. There's no cravats, jackets with leather elbow patches, 
or pipes among this lot, Finey. No secured stock, vintage cars, butlers or dodgy property deals with this backline. Their hardcore values have got good working class roots written right across them, regardless of how many ended up being pilfered by Scotch College and Co. on one of those equally dodgy scholarships. And how about the grit of this team across the board? 44 points down midway through the third quarter at Geelong, and they mow that lead down and get up to not only win, but take top spot and the minor permission. Gutsy stuff, Viney. You can't sell a performance like that short. And if you're into history as an omen and happen to be a Melbourne supporter right now, you couldn't possibly have missed the significance. The Demons' last minor premiership, 1964, of course. And we know how that September ended up, Melbourne winning the last of its 12 flags. And the last man to earn his team a top spot finish after the siren of the very last game, Stephen Kernahan, of course, in 1987. And we know how that year ended up. Yep, it's so long ago, we're actually talking about Carlton premierships. It feels like some sort of destiny has arrived for the Demons, I reckon, Finey. And this bunch of them are so good to watch and so devoid of airs and graces, do you actually do want to see them succeed rather than gag at the prospect? I can't even begin to think about how unpopular the club of the Melbourne establishment must have become by the time it won five premierships in six seasons between 1955 and 1960, but even those who believe in karma must surely concede the Demons have been delivered more than their share over the last 57 years. Frankly, Finey, I'd be pretty happy about another Melbourne Premiership, as obviously with thousands of Demon fans. The stereotyping will finally be at an end, and then it's time to get Jeeves the butler to pour us all another pins. Oh, whoops, I did it again. Now, I like that because you're trotted out every stereotype in announcing that the stereotypes have been <laughs> laid to rest. Beautifully done. Well, it's served football history very well. But uh, in all seriousness, I think it'll be a fantastic story. And uh, they're certainly due. And who could begrudge them a premiership this year? They have been the dominant team for much of 2021. All right, Finey, your turn to rant. What do you got in store for us? Well, here we go. Count me in. But I'm, I've gone from sad sack to pretty excited. So give me the countdown. All right. Three, two, one, rant. I've got to say, after St Kilda's lost to Geelong last weekend, I was starting to feel particularly sorry for myself. What am I talking about? Well, the season for St Kilda was basically officially over. Lockdown six was digging in and getting more severe with the announcement of the curfew. And, of course, with no prospect of finals football, not allowed out after nine o'clock, I turned to Netflix, realised I'd watched every movie, turned to the cricket channel, realised the Australian cricket team are nothing more than a shambles, and I started feeling sorry for myself. That woe has been confirmed, by the way, upon realising when seeing the footage of the anti-lockdown protest that the city that I once thought was most livable is in fact inhabited by a fair amount of brain-dead zombies. Did you catch the father complaining about the child that got pepper sprayed? <clears throat> Don't take the child to a protest. At this point in time, I'd almost given up. I was in a state of malaise. But then the football lifted me up by the bootstraps, slapped me over the face and said, Finey, 
we've got a final some coming up and it might be a beauty. Start with Friday night. There might not have been a crowd there, but I'll tell you what, I could almost hear the oohs and the ahs and the cheers and the sighs of Bulldog supporters from around Melbourne from within my own house. What a finish. Dramatic. You bet it was. Could it be topped? It could indeed. Brisbane. Huh, did they leave it to the late, 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 late show with Lincoln McCarthy's point? And then Melbourne, the one to beat the band. All of a sudden, sorry for himself, finally started to get engaged, re-engaged with the idea of a finals that could provide that Melbourne Premiership so long being sought after. It could provide the incredible come-from-nowhere Brisbane flag that nobody was predicting a couple of weeks ago. Could Port Adelaide do it against, well, maybe Rowan and I's best knowledge and best thoughts throughout the year. We have been saying they're not up to it, but here they go. They're right in it, up to their prison bars. And, of course, there's the cat. A heck of a story there. Don't ride off the doggies. The Bombers, that'd be a story to beat the band. Oh, well, GWS, I don't think so, but Sydney, maybe. I'm not, not only not feeling sorry for myself, Rowan, I can't bloody wait. A couple in Tassie, a couple in Adelaide, the perfect formula for lockdown six. It is going to be lockdown six, that is, uh, just as well you're not a Kiwi, because it did sound dangerously close to something else and... <laughs> Just by the by, I reckon there's been plenty of that going on in various establishments over the last couple of months. Uh, it's going to be a great final series. Really looking forward to it. And you're going to hear it a lot, but it just is so even. Uh, cannot wait. And we don't have to wait an extra week this year because of the scrapping of the pre-finals by great times, fantastic times for football. And thank God we've got something to look at while we uh, all effectively do jail time that wraps it up for this round 23 review edition of the footyology podcast always proudly brought to you by palmerbet play the punting advantage this footy season always remember to gamble responsibly and what about our other wonderful sponsors finey as we head into the finals there's no better big game player than our mates at andrews hamburgers they've topped the ladder for the most popular burger in town for years they're not minor premiers, they're major players. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And when it comes to a domicile to have the rest of the street green with envy, go for the boys from West Point Properties and Nick Spartels. And don't forget the best sports data analysts in the business. And I'm speaking, of course, about Stats Insider. They work with a range of more than 15 sports globally. They sample each event more than 10,000 times to give you the best range of possible and probable outcomes. And there's some damn fine writing on their website too, which is all free to check out. No subscription necessary. So do check it out at statsinsider.com.au. And while you're there, give them a follow on social media. And after you've given them a follow on social media, give us your money at either the supporter page wherever you're listening to this podcast or at the many links to Patreon, a fantastic uh, platform for independent publishing and writing. Uh, we are asking just $7 a month to help fund our operation and keep this whole little 
lovable independent media organisation going. So the Patreon links all over the website. And we really appreciate those who have got on board. Spread the gospel, everyone. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your enemies too, uh, just in case they develop half a brain. Thanks to your company. Hope your team had a win. I hope they made finals. If they didn't, well, you got pre-season to get your hopes up and have them disappointed all over again. No, I'm just a bit of black humour there. We will be back to preview the first week of the finals next Wednesday night. Footyology finals are on our post-game live stream. We will be doing on Friday evening after the first of next week's final series. It should be a ripper. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy your week. We'll catch you later.